With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Nate Edwards, that's Brandon BK Kylie. This is before the box score. We've we've picked our heads out of our igloos as we try to survive the winter crush of February. Uh, and we stick our head out and we find that there's not a whole lot of Mizzou news going on, but there's some stuff to talk about. So that's why we're here. We're talk about stuff. BK, how you doing? Can't complain. I just uh, you know, you, you you look for little morsels in the offseason for for what uh, what Missouri football is doing. We haven't heard a whole lot, so you just grab at what you got. And unfortunately, the first thing that we have is something that's not super great. Um, Jack Buford uh, yesterday decided that he was going to enter the transfer portal. He was a redshirt freshman offensive lineman from St. Louis and decided that his football future was not with Mizzou and he is basically out of here. Uh, BK for me, it's an expected loss. He probably wasn't going to see a whole lot of playing time, especially with EJ and Doma Ogar here, plus Luke Griffin and Case Cook dominating most of the guard snaps. Um, any additional thoughts to his to his uh, voyaging off somewhere else? Not really. I I mean it's it's one of those things where I was a fan of Jack personally, and it's not it's not like I knew him. I didn't cover him personally. He wasn't there when I was in Columbia, but I, he just seemed like a super likable kid, honestly, through his Mm -hmm. recruitment. And then in his time at Mizzou, he just, he seemed incredibly likable. So I hope he ends up landing on his feet, 
But it seemed pretty clear based on the lack of playing time this year that it probably just wasn't going to happen for him at Mizzou. If he wasn't going to play on this depleted offensive line with all of the injuries and all of the issues that they experienced throughout the year, I, I think it just he probably wasn't going to play at Mizzou, not, at least not significant snaps. So I think it makes sense for him. I think it makes sense for Mizzou. They have a decent amount of depth on the O-line right now, which is not something they've had at times in the past. I just don't know where the playing time was going to come from, man. Especially at the guard position, you've got Delgado ahead of him right now. You've got Case Cook ahead of him, who just basically added an extra year of eligibility, as you mentioned in Doma Ogar. I don't, and even Luke Griffin had kind of passed him up. So he was kind of, if you're looking at the two deep, he was kind of on the three deep. So it was going to be tough for him to be able to find a spot. So I hope he finds one elsewhere. Yeah, it was very rude of him to wait until after I had posted the returning production numbers for offense. Um, sorry, Jack. Uh, but he had 13 snaps on offense in 2020, two of which were at a fullback position. So, yeah, like you said, if you don't get it then, where are you going to get it, man? And and it's not going to be here. And that sucks. Obviously, we hate to see homegrown boys go so, have to go somewhere else, uh, especially from that St. Louis pipeline. But it is probably the best decision for him to make. Uh, and I hope he goes somewhere mm-hmm. fun. I know that uh, was it Deion Sanders down in Jackson State seems to be pulling a lot of Mizzou guys, a lot of uh, actually FBS guys, and getting them to the FCS level. So uh, maybe he ends up there, maybe he ends up somewhere else. But um, yeah, just uh, I will agree. He seemed very likable. Like he just seemed like a, a very fun dude to, dude to be around. And whether that's true or not, uh, it sucks for him not to be a Tiger. But um, yeah, there's other things for him, and I hope uh, hope he sees some playing time elsewhere. Yeah, and if you look at the O-line, I, I put up, if you're um, a listener to this podcast and you have not checked out the website at rockinnation.com recently, I did post up uh, basically my entire offense roster reset, and we'll get into these a little bit more later on, but just kind of looking specifically at the O-line, they they basically return everybody, man. Mm. I mean, you Eddie's going to start at center this year. You expect Case Cook to start at one of the guard positions. You're probably going to have a or a uh, depth chart battle between Delgado and Griffin, I would imagine, at the mm-hmm. other guard spot. Zeke Powell is going to fight for playing time at tackle. Hyron White, I would think, is probably the expected starter at the other spot. Bobby Lawrence will fit into that somehow. That's basically your guys. And then if Indoma Ogar is as good as I expect him to be, he's going to be somewhere on that two deep. And now at that point, I mean, you, you, you just have so many guys that are returning that have experience in this specific system i haven't even mentioned foster (laughs) i i I don't know if you're a guy that right now is not one of the players that i just mentioned and you were here last year it's going to be tough for you to be able to fit into the two deep in the next few years i would imagine i totally agree and you know even looking even further Connor Tolson's coming in. Now nah, he's more projected as a as a tackle than a guard. Mm-hmm. But you know Mitchell Wal- Walters, he was in the Gun Club last year. Where is he going to fit? Um, you know, there's there's a lot of, you know, I saw that Aaron Dryden posted up that's saying that our lines are are becoming a strength, and I'm not totally sure that's 100% true. There's a lot of dudes with experience, which is a lot better than where yeah. we were at this time last year. Uh, where the talent is is kind of unknown, but that's up to Marcus Johnson to figure out. But yeah, like if. There's a lot of options, and if you can't crack it now, you're not going to crack it then. So uh, I get it. It's it's fine. It's fine. It sucks, but it's fine. I definitely wouldn't agree that the offensive line in particular is a strength. And D-line, I, 
I think in numbers, yes. In top-end talent outside of Jeffcoat, I think my answer yeah. would be no to that. Yeah. Um, but the, the thing that I'm really interested in this year, just kind of as a big-picture sense for the O-line, I wonder what Hyron White's going to do for that unit because Larry Borum is a massive, yep. massive loss along the offensive line. How do you replace that guy? Hyron White was expected to be a starter coming into the season. He ended up missing the entire year with, I believe mm-hmm. it was a shoulder mm-hmm. injury, if I'm not mistaken. If he comes back and he's the guy that they thought he was going to be going into the season, maybe he starts at left tackle and suddenly you're better at the more important position in mm-hmm. terms of the two tackle spots. And maybe they don't drop off quite as much as I'm expecting them to, especially if you become more of a passing team with Larry Roundtree on the way out. Yeah, I just, you, we, we saw this offensive line without Larry Boren. It was not yeah. good. It was not good at all. And you know, now, in fairness to everybody that's on the squad right now, Larry wasn't super great two years ago in 2019. And he had a hell of an offseason and used that to catapult himself to an early NFL draft, uh, you know, possibly getting drafted. So it can happen. You can't expect it to happen, but it can happen, whether that's a Zeke Powell or a Javon Foster or, yeah, maybe Hyron White is, like, secretly – fantastic and, and makes that jump too but um the the guard spots are pretty much packed in as far as like equal talent and depth tackles are going to be the biggest issue and you got a couple of options there someone's got to step up for sure and and as far as you know defensive line offense line it's all just we got numbers and it's nice to have yep. numbers with, with names of of guys that you recognize i don't think the talent's completely there like you said outside of jeff coat but uh or like a my Eddie on the offensive line but yeah there's there's a lot of depth so if someone goes down you have a guy who has had sec play a name that you recognize who can fill in and that's that's nice it's nice to have it, you, you prefer talent top end talent obviously and maybe that's there somewhere but right now just having the depth and knowledge and experience that we have that that can take you a long way yeah and if progress was linear like, if this was a thing where if you only. could say everybody, kind of like in Madden, right? Yeah. You go to the next year and everybody that is going up a year, uh, you end up getting like a plus two on your overall yeah. rating. Well, yeah. yeah, that'd be great. Um, but we know that's not exactly how these things work. Sometimes guys take a step back instead of a step forward. Mm-hmm. There's more film on them. People can see the weaknesses. And suddenly the thing that you were able to prevent from being exposed the year prior now everybody's going after that on every play so there's reasons to be optimistic about this unit they did do some things pretty well last year in particular they had a really low sack rate allowed Mm -hmm. i mean the, the 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 sack rate in terms of like the raw percentages was one of the lowest in all of college football which was surprising to me um but a lot of that is also due to the system that they run they get the ball out of the hands of the quarterback really quickly Mm -hmm. so Drinkwitz does a good job of making sure um that there's not a whole lot of pressure on them in the passing game one place they really need to improve though is as a run blocking unit they just weren't very good in that area last year they're not i mean their power success rate which is you know getting short yardage was 106th in the entire country so not super great they're pretty good at keeping people out of the backfield. Um, you know, they only got stuffed on their runs about 18% of the time. But when the when the ground game is truly your bread and butter, which it is in a Drinkwitz offense, you need to keep that a little bit better. I don't know if sack rate is going to stay. And by that, I mean I don't know how much of this offense was kind of redesigned with an emphasis on quick passing, knowing that the offensive line was not as sturdy 
when you have some some better pass blockers in there, maybe the pass routes take a little bit more time. And so, like, it, instead of getting the ball out of his hands in, it's like, 1.5 seconds, he gets it out in, you know, 1.2, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or 1.9 or 2.2. Like, it could be a situation where now that you have deep threats, like a Kiki Chisholm, like maybe a Towski Dub eventually, maybe the pass progression's a little bit longer and therefore they have to protect a little bit longer. Uh, so I'm not totally sure if the quick passing game is going to be always the the way that we throw the ball, but it certainly was last year. It did give the offensive line a break. Now they just need to get better at that, opening the holes for the for the running backs who will be coming back. So offensive line, it all starts there. It's the engine that drives the car. As far as offense goes, uh, it's nice to have some depth and, and experience there, and you just got to hope. Like you said, they get their plus one, plus two, plus three in the offseason, uh, and Marcus Johnson earns that paycheck and, and makes them a little bit better. Yeah, and that's got to be the goal, and keep recruiting the way that they did. I know there were a lot of people that were very excited about Connor Tolleson, as mm-hmm. you mentioned. Uh, if you can keep recruiting, especially those under-the-radar guys that are in-state, I mean, that was kind of the secret sauce mm-hmm. under um, Gary Pinkle, those mm-hmm. in-state guys that were going to develop in two or three years, especially the guys that are former wrestlers and kind of have that lankier, longer body that are really good athletes. That was where they had the success, and it seems like Drinkwitz might be able to have some of that as well. Yeah. So as you mentioned recruiting, and, and that kind of leads to our to our next topic here. It's been – it was a weird year for recruiting in 2020, and we've talked about that in all of 2020, and we'll probably continue to talk about that. Recruiting continues to be quirky in college football because you bring back the super seniors. Any, any senior who graduated in 2020 gets to come back. You have a gigantic freshman class merging with a second freshman class because nobody advanced in eligibility. So you have super freshman classes of like 39, 40, 41 kids. Um, and, and in addition, th- just today, the NCAA extended the recruiting dead period. And, and so I think it's now like May 31st at this point. So like no one's going to any campuses. No one's seen anybody. Everything's done on Zoom, phone call, text. So it's just it's a very weird era of recruiting this 2020 uh graduating high school graduating class to 2021 uh high school graduating class and and one of the more interesting stories that i read uh, i sent the article to bk earlier this week is the story of texas state now i understand that texas state is not missouri and maybe you all <laughs> will scrub forward a couple minutes and skip passes but it is really interesting here's here's the takeaway texas state the bobcats head coach jake spavitol in this 2000, uh, this this most recent recruiting class, did not, did not, sign a high school football player, not a single one. Now they didn't, you know, they they did pursue a few. They had about a hundred kids on their big board, which is you like a third or a fourth of what most schools do. Um, but the guys that they really wanted, they didn't get, and so they didn't sign anybody. And what Coach Spavital is doing right now is he's saying, I'm not going to recruit the high school kids if they don't want to come here. I'm going to recruit the transfer portal. And so he's got 25 scholarships fresh off the mint, ready to hand out to somebody who played at some other school. And I just I can't help but think, it goes back to what we talked about a couple weeks ago with Drinkwitz having a couple scholarships in his pocket too that are unused. How much more prevalent are we going to get with with trans with transfers and recruiting the transfer portal? And then just what the heck, BK, do you think about this? I'm only going to recruit transfer strategy uh, at Texas State. It makes sense for a place like transfer or like uh, Texas State, honestly. 
I mean, if you're a lower level program and you're not going to have these kids sign with you straight out of high school that you're comfortable with, well, then why waste two, three, four, five years of them being at your university when you can have guys that you've seen play at a high level who maybe for whatever reason aren't working out at their current situation and they've got an opportunity to kind of drop down a peg going to Texas State. If you've got that opportunity as Texas State, you should take advantage of it. I do not think this is something that would work at a place like Mizzou. No, um, no. I think it can work on specific situations. Like if Mizzou, for instance, was out on the market right now and there was a safety that wanted to come to Mizzou and he specifically fit into what they have in terms of their current roster construction, right? He, he evened out the classes. That makes a lot of sense. And so in a targeted approach, I think it can work even at an SEC level. You could take this year five guys, honestly, that are transfers, and I think it could be fine. I don't think you could get above like seven-ish. I think you get to a place eventually where you you probably aren't going to want to do that. That being said, man, I think it makes a lot of sense to be able to re-level out some of your classes, instead of taking a 25-man freshman class that is added, like you said, to this kind of super freshman class, because eventually these teams are going to have issues, mm-hmm. and we know how it's going to get resolved. They're going to force kids out, but that could even come back on you, because if you're forcing out a kid that is in-state, those relationships can be problematic. So I mm-hmm. I think there's something to this method. It just has to be more targeted at the Power 5 level than it is at Texas State. I was I was shocked. I mean, it, it, the the strategy makes complete sense. I just, do you do that in Texas? Like you couldn't find twenty five kids in Texas to play football for you? It just seems. You, you talked about relationships in high school. There's only one place. There's only one job, really, series of jobs, where you got to be from the state to do the job well in the state, and that's Texas, because those relationships mm-hmm. with those high school coaches are everything. So it is a little shocking that a college football coach in texas is kind of openly admitting this and even though he said he did tr- chase a few he didn't get them but like kind of seems like his eye is clearly on the transfer portal so that is that is very weird the other thing you got to keep in mind is that you know we have well we got 10 super seniors 11 11 super seniors on scholarship for this year and we're bringing them back and we're adding them to the the freshman class that we just that the missouri just recruited there are schools out there most at the G5 level, but also some P5 schools, where their administration saying, no, you can't, you can't do that. <laughs> we mm-hmm. can't exceed the 85 scholarship level because we don't have the money to do that. So there are a lot of coaches who have built these relationships with these kids and saying, hey, like you're here for as long as we, as we can have you, who are going to have to tell those kids, you know, I can't, I can't carry you. I really can't. Or on the flip side, they don't, you know, like in this class, they don't recruit any high school kids because they go, yeah, I didn't see this kid play, but I do have this four-year player that I know really well. Like it, the balancing yep. issues and the money issues are making it just an absolute nightmare uh, for these head football coaches, which way away and make a million dollars and you got all these problems. I get it. But like this, this is unprecedented stuff. This is not something we've ever experienced at the college football level. And it's probably something, you know, as long as we don't have another pandemic, that's something that we're never going to see again. And honestly, this is why I had an issue with what the NCAA did. Yeah. Because they created a problem that didn't need to exist. 
these freshmen, sophomores, and juniors, they would have been perfectly fine with not having the extra year of eligibility. There is, listen, I'm, I'm fine with it. I got no issues with it. But there's no reason why Connor Basilek <laughs> needs four more years of eligibility <laughs> at Mizzou. There right, isn't. Right. I mean, he, I'm sure he's thankful for it. And he's going to get an extra year of college potentially for free. And God bless him for it. And I hope he takes advantage of it. Any of these kids. I hope they all take advantage of it. But there was no need for that to happen. Even during a pandemic season, they all ended up playing. It was whatever that was that we watched in the fall of 2020. It happened. They got their money that they needed, and the players got to play. I'm here for the seniors being able to get an actual senior season where they get to play hopefully a full season in front of real crowds, and hopefully things are okay by then, and it's, it's more of your normal college football season. I got no issues with that whatsoever. But them being able to have every single player, freshman through senior, get an extra year of eligibility is what's created these problems. And it's not just for 2021 or 2022. This is going to have long-lasting effects on kids that are currently in high school Mm -hmm. and also for these coaches and these teams in ways that I'm not sure anybody totally understands yet, including the two of us. But even for these teams, I don't know that anybody truly understands what these next four years are going to look like because of the decision that the NCAA made on this. And we're going to see it this December because essentially we have a no graduated senior class. So all of these, you know, for all the super seniors that came back, basically no one graduated. You might have, you know, 10, seven to 10 players who leave after this year. But what does that mean? That means that you're over the 85 scholarship limit. No one leaves, like naturally. What kind of recruiting class do you have for 2022? You know, look at Missouri right now. Like I said, on the roster, we have 11 scholarship seniors who will leave after this year. That would put us at 69 scholarships, nice, uh, that we have to spend uh, going into 2022. So we are a little bit fortunate that we get to have a little bit of room to grow, and that's kind of like a really odd backwards benefit of having the sanctions come down that limited our scholarship. God bless Barry Odom. Yeah, thanks, man. That's one thing you did well. But think of think of any of the schools who didn't have any seniors coming back, and everybody kept their same eligibility. There are no seniors on that team. Who can they? Who do they bring in? Are they forcing kids out? Again, you get back to the point where the recruiting dead period is still extended. Do they get to see these players play? Are they able to recruit anybody? Are they saying, well, we'd like you to join our team, but we're not totally sure what our roster management is going to be, so like, I can't give anything, I can't give anything firm. It, it's just a mess. It's affecting 2021 class. It's affecting 2022 class. It's going to affect every single class for the next six years. And like you said, it was completely avoidable, just completely avoidable. And, of course, the NCAA – did exactly what it does it says well we're here for the players but we're actually actually going to put in some rules that it really disaffect every player going forward mm-hmm. uh from this year going on and it just it's it doesn't make any sense and it's a mess and i don't know what that's going to mean i mean luckily for missouri it's not going to mean a whole lot we can recruit as much as we want but it's just a huge mess and i'm not totally sure what that's going to mean for rosters especially at blue bloods and i don't know what the fallout's going to be and it's, it's interesting, it's quirky, but in the end of the day, it really sucks for the kids and, because they have no agency over what's happening, and they're just, they are really the ones that have to pay the price for this. 
the NCAA went for a headline instead of actual meaningful change. Like, that, <laughs> that's that. what this was. <laughs> the, the NCAA was looking for the headline that was on ESPN.com that basically yeah. said, uh, NCAA approves having every player eligible to return for an extra year of eligibility. Like that, that's what they wanted, and that's what they got. Except for the fact that when people actually looked into it a little bit, they were like, wait, this makes no sense. Why not just do it for the seniors? We all agreed with that when it came to the, well, we were all in favor of it, I think, when it came to the winter sports that mm-hmm. were not able to play their tournaments, right? The conference tournaments and then into the NCAA tournament for basketball specifically. Then when you got to the fall, we were like, hey, yeah, we know that you guys are all going to be able to actually play your entire seasons now, but yeah, just everybody for a year. You're good. Just go ahead and come back for Like, (laughs) what changed? I don't understand. We just had this ruling for basketball and other winter sports as well, but let's be honest. The two sports that it affects the most are basketball and football. Those are the revenue sports. And so you just had this ruling for college basketball where it's the seniors that can come back. And then for football, it's everybody. I, I I never truly comprehended why they did it this way, but welcome to welcome to the NCAA, man. I will it's say not here for me to understand. I will say as far as player agency goes, if we get this uh, this transfer rule going through where you don't have to sit out that is, How do we not have a resolution on this? Because the NCAA, how is this not determined? Because they're just, uh, they're just chicken it's shit. It's February, man. They're kicking the can down the road. That's all they do. I think it's March where they come up where it comes up again. So this is insane. It I, is absolutely insane. It really does bother me because, like, for example, so we're recording this on Wednesday the seventeenth. Let's localize this to Eli Drinkwitz and Mizzou. They are going to start spring camp <laughs> without knowing. If the players that are on the field, some of them, in particular one that could actually start for them next year in Mookie Cooper, they don't know if he's going to be eligible. Mm-hmm. If they literally are going to go into spring camp, he might be a starter for them, or at least is vying for starting snaps. Yeah. They don't know if he can actually play. <laughs> if he can't play, he's going to get fewer snaps in spring. I can promise you that. Yeah. Because why waste those snaps? No offense to Cooper, he's probably going to be a good player eventually. But why waste those snaps on a player that is not going to be able to play for them next year? It's it's baffling that we've arrived at this place. What's really interesting to me, like let's say let's say it goes through, and I I don't know, I'm not going to say anything because I'm not going to pretend to understand the tea leaves. But let's let's say this goes through, okay? Transfer, you can play immediately. That's fine. When you're talking about plumbing the transfer portal, and looking at kind of poaching players instead of recruiting high school players and taking a flyer, a four-year flyer, as I think we're calling it. I read some unnamed sources in coaching circles saying that if players do get agency as far as where they want to play and penalties for transferring are just removed, essentially, what coaches are looking at is almost like um, kind of like a like a, a soccer kind of approach to signing players, like a sign in place. You do that right now with JUCO for kids who don't qualify. But like, for example, let's say Missouri was going after uh, a linebacker out of Alabama. Okay. Three-star linebacker. And they liked him. They didn't really have any space for him. And, you know, they just saw a couple kids that were a little bit better, but they're like, look, man, here's what, here's what we want you to do. 
we like you a lot. We're going to stay in contact. But you you sign wherever you want. And let's say this kid signs with UAB. He that, the Missouri staff stays in in contact with the kid at UAB, the linebacker at UAB, even as he's you know maybe he starts, maybe he doesn't. But they keep in enough contact with him, at, even at this other school, and then say, hey, man, we got some space. We want you to hit the transfer portal and come on over. And the kid does. And a lot of coaches are thinking that this might be the next way to recruit, just get a better idea of recruiting. Because now you're not looking at a kid going to JUCO and standing out against a bunch of JUCO kids. Like, you know this kid's an academic qualifier. You know he's a good enough talent. You know, if you, if you let him go to a UAB, okay, UAB gets a pretty good player. If he ends up being really good, then you can call him up, bring him in, and now you got your player that you wanted the entire time, and you know that he can be coached at the FBS level. And I don't know if that's actually going to come to fruition. I'm not sure if that's how I'd want to recruit, but it's just, again, another quirk, another wrinkle as far as recruiting goes, and it'll be really interesting to see how they do roster management, how they do recruiting, if restrictions on transferring are, are lifted. Uh, I have a thought on those anonymous coaches, Nate. Let me hear it. I think they're bad coaches. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. And, and the reason why I say that is because if you're if your coaching staff is good at development, you would never do such a thing. Because if you don't have your hands on those players, their freshman and sophomore seasons, when that is when they're going to typically make their biggest jumps in terms of the leaps that they will make in college. It's going to happen the first couple of years that they're on campus because they're getting into your strength program. They're getting into your nutrition program. They're around your coaches that are going to teach them the technical side of the game. Like all of these things really matter the first mm-hmm. couple of years in particular while they're on campus. Mm-hmm. If you don't care about any of that stuff, you're probably doing things a little differently than the way that things I would hope are done at a place like, for instance, Mizzou. They they need Mizzou needs to be really good at development, and so I wouldn't think that they would go down um, a scenario like that where they're doing this placement. Maybe it is kind of like we were talking about with the other transfer thing. Maybe you can do it on a targeted basis. Maybe it's a kid that he's kind of a eh, we're not really sure. Like, you, you know who might have gone this way? Charles Harris. Oh, yeah. Charles Harris, yeah. Uh, in his class, instead of coming straight to Mizzou, maybe they would have said, you know what, Charles, uh, we, we think you're going to be a really good player. I know you're – I think he was thinking about, like, Northwest Missouri State, I yeah. think is where he was planning to sign. Mm-hmm. Instead of there, we're, we're going to get on the phone. We're going to give uh, Arkansas State. We, we know their coaches really well. We're going to get you down there. We're going to get you a spot. And in a year or two, if you, if you do well down there, we're going to give you a call. We're going to get you up to Mizzou. Maybe that's something that happens, but I don't think it's going to be a situation where a guy that they definitely want to take is placed elsewhere. That just, it seems super risky to me. So there is a real life example of this, and I think this is what these coaches were talking about. So Maryland, the Terrapins, uh, really like this quarterback. His name was Reese Udinsky, and they didn't have a spot for him, so he goes to VMI. Well, FCS starts their season – well, they started their season on Saturday, last Saturday. Um, and they are going to be playing – it's kind of like the FBS. Some are playing four, some are playing eight, whatever. But Reese is going to play the VMI season at VMI, the 2021 spring season there. Once he is done at VMI and the coaches have game tape on him, he transfers to Maryland and he's going to compete for the Maryland starting quarterback position. And, like, he said, hey – I." You know, I'll come over right now and like, no, 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 no. You should, you should play. <laughs> you should play at VMI. We'll take a look at you. And he's not going to transfer until the summer, I guess, when they're done. So, it, it seems 
wacko. Like that is no way that I would want to run my roster uh, acquisition, any of that R- recruiting. That 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 sounds awful and stressful. And who says the kids even going to stick with you after that? You know, like I'd rather have them, but I'm not a football coach. I don't know. It's just again, coaches are always going to look at these situations and like say, how is it going to benefit me? And it's just it's a unique kind of situation that popped up and. I don't know if Missouri's going to take advantage of it, but clearly other schools are yeah, going the, to. Yeah, the so kid that you're talking about it. coming out of high school, for what it's worth, was an unrated pro-style quarterback who had offers from any significant <laughs> nice. schools. Um, so I, I think that's the kind of player that this would apply for. He was a 2017 pro-style quarterback, and now in 2021 yeah. he's getting yeah. his opportunity to transfer to Maryland. So I, I think those are the types of players. Maybe you'll see more guys like yeah. that getting opportunities. But I think that's already happening. You know, like Mizzou, Mizzou has done that. They just took a Rice linebacker. That's not because mm-hmm. of a change in the rules. That's because he's a good player yeah. that excelled at a lower level and now he's getting his opportunity. I think that that flow was already taking place. And maybe this just – maybe more so now, but I don't think that that was ever going to change. Well, I, I think it's – I think the players are recognizing. I don't think you need coaches being this sure. nefarious, like, backroom, like – Ooh, I'm going to keep tabs on you. I think it's just the players going, hey, if I got – there's no penalty for me leaving, and I do really, really well at Rice or UAB or UTSA or New Mexico, like, and someone wants me to play for their team, heck, yeah, I'm going to make the jump. And I know that sucks Sucks for the uh, G5 coaches or the FCS FCS coaches who have to lose the But kid. it's also a good recruiting guess what? tool. It is. It's like, guess what? Guess what our kids get to do? We develop you. We get you to the to the big school where you can go to the NFL. Yeah. Like any coach is going to use that to a positive, absolutely. So I I think it's more just again strengthening player agency and having them have a little bit of say in what they want to do, especially when you have an industry where the coaches get to do whatever they want to do with no <laughs> repercussions whatsoever. So um, yeah, it's just interesting to see. And yeah, you got to hold on to your players. And I know Barry did a good job with that. And and so far, you know, we'll see how Eli does with his guys, but. Uh, just another evolution in the college football recruiting cycle. Yeah, it's going to be interesting so, to see how it affects things for sure. It is. It is. Um, so yeah, we'll get back to Missouri here. You know, we're doing we're doing basically every other week here. So by the time we come back, Missouri will actually be in spring practice. Believe it or not, <laughs> like, like BK said earlier, February twenty eighth, the Tigers are kicking off spring practice. They will conclude at March twenty sixth. Yep. I think uh, still unclear. On if there's going to be a black and gold game, uh, maybe there is, maybe there isn't. Um, but regardless, they will still be practicing. I've been seeing all the videos of them lifting weights and running sprints, and it makes me want to throw up because I'm old. Um, but uh, they are working hard, so we are kind of in the preview section. Believe it or not, a spring preview section. And I know BK has been diving deep on it. I did my returning production piece on Tuesday, and uh, let's just go quick through on the on, on the offense and. We got to start with quarterback BK. We got Connor Bazelak, who just so happens to be the SEC co-freshman of the year. Uh, doesn't seem to be a whole lot of drama around that position, right? No, not at all. Um, I I think the only drama at the position is who's going to be the backup. Who by the time the actual games take place, if God forbid anything were to happen to Connor Bazelak, who would come into the football game? I think the answer is Brady Cook. Yeah. I think Tyler making though, if he has a really good spring and he comes in and he is ready to go right away, 
he's talented enough to make things interesting there. So I think that's where the intrigue is, but I would be absolutely stunned if Connor Bazelak isn't the starter going into opening night. I I agree. Connor Bazelak as your one. I would actually be surprised if Brady Cook wasn't two. And the only reason I say that is, granted, it was a weird season, but he's had a full season under mm-hmm. Drinkwitz. He's had game experience. Tyler Macon hasn't played in two years. Just FYI. He didn't play last year. So I guess it's only been one year. But by the time we get to the 2020 season, it'll be two, yeah. two. So, like, he has not played. I'm, I'm sure he's been throwing it around with all his friends and staying active. Don't get me wrong. But he has not seen the field in a while. Now, he, I'm sure he's studying his playbook. He's already on campus. That's good. He's going to go through all his spring practice. He's very talented. We know that. But, guys, you don't just show up as a freshman and, and becomes first or second string. That's not how this thing works, no matter how talented you are. You know, even even uh, Blaine Gabbert, even Drew Locke had to take their lumps as the second stringer for a little bit. So, I would be shocked if he was two. He's certainly talented enough, but I think it's going to be Bayes like one cook, too. And I think that's... 100% totally okay. Yeah, I'm fine with it. Um, if you're looking for what to watch for in terms of – we all liked Connor Bazelak this year, I think. I think that's a unanimous opinion at this point. Um, yeah. There are some things, though, that he definitely needs to work on. I mean, if you looked at his final stat line, uh, he finished the year touchdowns and six interceptions. You'd like to see those touchdowns go up a little bit. Six interceptions, that's fine. But the nine uh, nine total touchdowns, let's, let's go ahead and improve that this year. One way to do so – Skill a little better on that deep passing game, Connor. He actually attempted many more deep passes than I thought when I went back through, but he completed just 12 of them. So he completed 12 of his 44 pass attempts that traveled at least 20 yards in the air. So those are considered deep shots whenever you throw it at least 20 yards in the air. 12 of 44 on those. Got to improve in that area. And some of that's on the receivers that he was throwing to. Some of that is on him in terms of the accuracy of those deep balls. That's probably the number one spot that I would like to see him improve going into next season. Let, let's see a little bit better deep shots from him. I agree. And, you know, his sack rate was really good. You know, mm-hmm. we talked about the offensive line being good. 3.6% sack rate is fantastic. That's 12 sacks on 336 dropbacks. So that's really good. And his completion percentage is 67%, also very good. Uh, 2,300 yards, nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, just improve the touchdowns, that's all. Uh, now, as far as returning production goes, Passing game is the most important part of the modern college football game. Part of that is quarterback. Uh, when Bill Connolly does his returning production weights, 29% of that weight goes to quarterback passing yards. And luckily, Missouri returns 100% of the yards that quarterbacks threw. So they're sitting pretty there. The thing that's actually weighted the least at 5% is rushing yards by the running back, which is good news <laughs> because we're only returning 26% of the yards on the ground from a running back because Larry Roundtree ran like a billion times for almost a thousand yards. Uh, at, at far, as far as I know, Tyler Beatty could be a fine feature back, but he's built like a, like a third down back, like kind of a little, a little electricity to add to the backfield. Do you see Beatty getting number one snaps or does something like an Elijah young or a TJ butts take the, the majority of the first snaps as, as a younger guy, man, this is the on offense. This is the position to watch, in my opinion, this spring. I don't know what they're going to do. I think Tyler Beatty could do this job. We've seen Eli Drinkwitz in the past at NC State. He had a running back similar to Tyler Beatty that kind of did this type of a job with a a significant workload. 
Um, will he do it again with Beatty at Mizzou? I don't know. He just seemed so hesitant to give Beatty any serious snaps last year. Is that going to be the case again in 2021? I hope not, but I wouldn't be stunned. I could see him just basically being used as your third down back and mixing in a little more on early downs once again. Elijah Young, I think, should be viewed as the favorite for the early first and second down role, similar to what we saw a year ago from uh, Larry Roundtree. If I'm looking for a sleeper in terms of a guy that could come in and surprise right away, it's Taj Butts. He is the three-star running back coming out of the St. Louis area at DeSmet. This dude is big, man. I, I don't want people to underestimate the the body that he is bringing with him coming to Mizzou. Like, he, he, from a physicality and a pure strength perspective, looks like he's ready to go in the SEC today. He's listed at 5'11", a buck 90. I think he's bigger than that in just watching the highlights. His high school coach said he runs like Josh Jacobs, the former Alabama, out based on the way that I saw him running on film. He's the guy that I think Mizzou fans should be watching for. He's the most interesting one in this backfield to me. How do you see this thing playing out? I'm curious. I do think it's going to be an open competition. If if Drinkwitz is protective of Beatty and he wants to use him in selective situations, I don't think he even get has him sniff the one slot. I think he'd put Young or Butts or even B.J. Harris, who like ran mm-hmm. for 2,000 yards or something crazy in high school, um, give him a shot. You know, the thing about running back, especially in the modern game, it doesn't really matter your experience. Like, pretty much anybody can go back there as long as you have a competent passing game and a solid offensive line. And if I were Drinkwitz, I would just say, all right, everyone gets a shot at the one. And I know that's kind of the, the role for every college football coach. Like, no position is safe. Everybody gets a trial. But seriously, he could he could trot out all three and just rotate through them and see which one sticks. And that'd be I'd be fine with it. Uh, I said in my returning production piece that Arizona State had the best rushing attack in the country, led by a freshman and a JUCO guy who weren't even on campus when the season started. So it's it, it can be done. As long as you have a good offensive line, which at least we have a deep one, uh, and we got experience in the passing game, like you could pretty much put anybody back there. So open competition. I do hope Elijah Young gets it because he was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously he was on campus last year, but it'd be pretty cool to see Butts or Harris take it, have a freshman stick around for four years, and, and just be rock-solid awesome. The other thing, like to, to your point on freshmen being able to come in and contribute right away, the one place where that's difficult is – in the passing game, but more specifically in pass protection, that takes a little while to be able to get down just in terms of like where you're supposed to be and how the job is supposed to be done. That's where Tyler Beatty's there for though. Like the, the, the guy that is going to replace Larry Roundtree isn't typically even in that role in this Mizzou offense. So the easiest part of playing the running back position. So the easiest part of the easiest position to translate as a freshman that's what these guys are going to be asked to do. So it, it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody if they're able to go ahead and do that. Yeah. I, I'm, I am also very curious to see who steps up and who gets the majority of the carries. Now, the other aspect of, of importance, and really the most important, is receiving yards by your receivers and your tight ends. That is a 34% weight in returning production calculations. And good news, we returned 79% of that production from last year. Uh, when you look at the targeting data, there's a very clear set of who was the top five. That was Kiki Chisholm, Damon Hazleton, Towski Dove, Jalen Knox, and Barrett Bannister. 
But when you look at the catches and you look at the yards, it was really just kind of everybody chipped in somewhere. Uh, even Chris Abrams training with his two targets and two catches for four yards. Like everybody contributed. Damon Hazleton's gone. Dom Jacinto transferred. Everybody else is back. So just like the offensive lines, like we got a lot of familiar names, a lot of guys who saw the field. Other than Chisholm, no one really stands out. Maybe Dove. No one really stands out as like, ooh, this is your guy. This is the guy to build around. So what do the receivers and the tight ends look like this year, BK? <laughs> so let's start with the receiver, and then I do actually want to get into the tight ends because I find this this group to be really interesting heading into next year. Um, I I think Chisholm's your clear-cut number one receiver Agree. going into next year. Yes. Like, no question about it. That is the guy, capital T, capital G. After him, I think it's going to be another kind of by committee type of a season. I think that you're going to see Towski Dove with some good games. I think Jalen Knox is going to have some good games. If the transfer rule comes through, I think Mookie Cooper is going to have a few really impressive games. I think Dominic Lovett, who I'm I'm not as high on as some others seem to be in terms of like what he's going to be able to do the moment that he walks on campus. I know he's going to do one thing well, though. He's really fast. And that dynamism is something that Mizzou missed at the receiver position a year ago. We talked about how you want to see a little bit more production in the deep passing game from Connor Bazelek. Well, having a dude that just outruns everybody on the defense is a good way to have that. And Dominic Lovett can do exactly that. So he's a guy that I think he's going to be a very specific role offensively. And when he's out there, you're either going to see a fly route um, or you're going to see a little bubble route. And I think he's going to be pretty good in that specific role. Yeah. You've got a lot of young guys. You got Jay Macklin. You got Chris Abrams, Drame. You got, well, Deontay Smith's not a younger guy, but he's a newer guy. Um, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, all of the, just the slew of receivers uh, that, that we've picked up over the years with Mookie Cooper and, and, and Dominic Lovett. And of course, Chance Looper's in there too. So like, there's a lot of opportunities here for any young guy to step up. Now they're all pretty short, uh, so who knows like where who slots where. But um, there's just a lot of depth, and you got to think that yeah, you could just you can kind of rotate through, kind of like with the running backs, and just see what sticks. But you got to look at Chisholm, Dove. I, I I think the development of Dove over this offseason is huge. Yeah. If you could turn him into a solid number two, oh my God, that would be a huge development for this offense. Now, you were talking about the tight ends, and there's they weren't like super active in the passing game. Nico Hay was, but like what what excites you? Is it blocking? Is this why you like the tight ends? Well, I love the way they use them. So Mizzou last year uh, used multiple tight ends on twenty five percent of its plays. So offensively, one out of every four snaps, they used a multiple tight end set. That's uncommon. Uh, that is, it, I remember when, I don't remember who it was, but one of the Mizzou offensive coaches, this was under Barry Odom, said that they were going to use their tight ends in a bunch of different unique and interesting ways, right? It never really happened. Like, it just, it wasn't all that unique or interesting. They use their tight ends the same way that every spread offense does. This offense is different in that they do actually use their tight ends in unique and different ways. You had Daniel Parker Jr., who was kind of your blocking tight end. 
Nico Hay was the guy that was like almost a designated goal line threat, which was kind of interesting to watch. Uh, Logan Christofferson, I was actually surprised to see he finished the year with three targets because he had maybe the catch of the year yeah. um, on the season. It was that fourth down play where they threw it over the top. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to use them even more next season. I think those guys could be a real threat for them. And you know, I got to bring up my favorite young guy uh, in this situation as well. <laughs> I would not be surprised if you end up seeing a freshman seeing significant playing time mm-hmm. this year. Ryan Horsecamp is really good, mm-hmm. and he is big and strong, and after listening to uh, Mizzou tight ends coach and recruiting coordinator Casey Woods on the Power of Mizzou podcast, he spoke glowingly about Ryan Horsecamp as well, saying basically like he came in with a college-ready body. That's what you want to hear if you're going to see a guy immediately step in and play. I think he's going to be your number two tight end this year. So I think he's going to come in, going to be utilized in the passing game. I think he's going to take over kind of that Nico Hay plus role. Yes, both tight ends are. Is he on campus right now? All right, well, there you go. That'll be interesting. Yeah, I, I love Nico. Hey, he was a late uh, addition, kind of seemingly out of nowhere. And, yeah, two touchdowns on 20 targets last year, 14 catches, 130 yards. It'd be great to build off of that. DPJ is kind of what he is. He's not going to be a threat in the passing game. He just destroys fools and run blocking, which is awesome. I think he's going to be more really? so next year, by the way. I think they're going to use him a little more next year. Yeah, he, he's good in that area. Um, I I think this off season, last yeah. offseason really hurt him <laughs> yeah, from that perspective. <laughs> I, th- I think he's going to be – yeah, I think he's going to be a little bit more trim going into next year, and I, I fully expect he's going to have a little bit more production yeah. in the passing game. And then we get to the offensive line. You know, we talked a lot about him at the beginning of the show, uh, but it is 33% weight of the returning pr- production equation, so it is very important. And it's not starts, it's snaps. And of the 3,571 snaps – uh, that that Missouri offensive linemen have, uh, well, before Jack Buford left, 80% was returning. Of course, Jack Jack only had 13 snaps, so it's probably like 79% at this point returning. Um, like we said, a lot of names, a lot of experience, not like super mega talented dudes, but just a lot of solid depth. Um, we already kind of talked about who's going to be the starting five. At this point, if you saw a starting five left to right, BK, Zeke Powell, Xavier Delgado, Mike Maietti, Case Cook, and Hiron White. Is that satisfactory, or do you think something's gone wrong? I think it's fine. Yeah, uh, It's kind of my expectation at this point. Oh, I think okay. Luke Griffin, though, is going to mix in. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I fully expect him to see significant playing time. Um, but that's kind of where I'm at. I, I think that that's, that's pretty much my expectation going into the year. Is it a good offensive line? No, I don't think that I would go there. I think it's fine, though. I think it's like a a 6 out of 10 in terms of the, the if you were rating this on a scale of 1 to 10. Mm-hmm. I would love to see Indoma o- Ogar get an opportunity. That's what I was hoping I'm you'd say. I'm very interested yeah. to see what he ends up doing because I, I think they've got four guys at guard that can play. Mm-hmm. And the best of them is Case Cook. I'm very interested to see what they see what they do opposite him. I, I would like to see Endoma Ogar get in there just because he's new. He's 
hyped. <laughs> he's talented. He went to Oklahoma, damn it. Like, I want to see. He really and God, is. is he strong. He really God, is. is he strong. Uh, I want to see him play in there. Now, I think Delgado is excellent in the run game. I don't think he's super great in the passing game. Um, you are you are an SEC stat cat disciple, correct? Okay. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know if you saw the breakdown they did on Mizzou's offensive concepts, but the favorite play that uh, Drinkwitz ran last year was outside zone. And they, yep. if they ran it right, it was like a 48% success rate. So running off of Larry Borum. If they ran it left, it was like a 20% success rate. So Zeke Powell's, and De- uh, maybe even Delgado, but De- definitely Zeke's got some work to do in the in the uh, rushing uh, run blocking game. So I'm kind of like Zeke came in late and was an excellent stopgap for an emergency. Oh, my God, we don't have our tackles. I'd kind of like to see someone pass him up, assuming that he doesn't get better. I want to see Hyrule really White too. on the left side, honestly. Yeah. And like if that's you put Zeke hope. on the right, that's fine. If Foster develops over this over the offseason or you know, hell, if Connor Tollison's really as good as advertising he starts on the right, like that's fine. But if you're gonna run outside zone, if that's gonna be your bread and butter, you need to have tackles who can do that. And if you can only do it in one way and that guy's gone, it would just be nice to have some development there. So I like to see those guys push and maybe a new name pop up there, but hey, it's all names that we know, so it, it, in theory it should be okay. I think there are three guys to me that should be views, viewed as entrenched starters, uh, health permitting. Okay. Mayetti, Cook, and I think Hyron White so should be So your center to your way. right. Uh, uh, again, yeah. basically, yeah. I think those three guys, your center, one of the guards, and one of the tackles are already entrenched. And it's a matter of who starts at the other guard and tackle position. Now, you can play Cook. I think he played mostly on the right Mm -hmm. side last year. Typically with these guys, it doesn't much matter. But if he's comfortable there, keep him on the right. Hyron White, I think, can play either side. In fact, I think he probably profiles better as a left tackle than a right tackle. Um, and then filter in throughout. I would actually like it better if they go Mayetti at center, Cook on the right, Hyron White at left tackle, because then you've got at least one guy next to those yeah. other two that you feel pretty yeah. good about. I agree. It's a little more balanced yeah. that way. Well, it'll, it'll be really interesting. You know, there's there's so many fun things to look at during the spring, and you only get, well, used to get one, like, three-hour session of getting some eyes on what's happening, but who knows if we even get that now, so... Follow your beat writers. Follow us. We'll give you all the updates on on what's happening. But it, there's some interesting battles just because there's, like we said, a lot of familiar names and faces coming back. And someone's got to develop. Someone's got to get better. And someone's got to step up to play. So a lot of interesting battles on offense. Nate, number, number one thing you're looking for offensively in spring ball is what? The number one thing? Receivers. Mm-hmm. Receivers. I mean, I, I know we talked about offensive line is super important. It's the engine that runs everything. I I – I feel confident they're going to find the guys. I really – you need to develop a downfield passing game to complement the running game that Drinkwitz wants to have. And I want to know, does Chisholm, does Dove, can they get downfield? Mookie Cooper, is he eligible? Can he get downfield? Like, can we develop that where we can get some big shots? Because if you can do that, everything else starts opening up. And I think um, Missouri will be a lot more comfortable in the Drinkwitz scheme if they have that threat. What are you looking for? I'd go running back. Uh, I, I think receiver's a really good one, and that would probably be right up there for me. But I want to know who the early down back is mm-hmm. going to be. It, is it going to be 
Butts? Is it going to be Elijah Young? It, are they comfortable going with Tyler Beatty in that spot? I think those are the three candidates to me that I would be most likely to get behind. Um, I, I'm fascinated to see which direction they decide yeah, to go with that. Agree. We'll find out. Man, our future selves are going to have so much to talk about. <laughs> it's going to be great. <laughs> uh, any last shots before we let the people go? I don't think so, man. I'm just I'm I'm excited about the fact that spring ball is right around yeah. the corner. I, it's kind of crazy to say that um, just because it, it feels like the season wasn't that long ago. <laughs> but I, I'm interested to see what these young guys are able to do, man. It's it's always a fun time of the year. I remember when I was still in Columbia covering the team more on a day to day basis. I loved this time of year because you could actually watch stuff and you could you could learn things about mm-hmm. the team unlike in fall camp and i i adored this time of year because you the the guys are just so much more um so much easier to get to know obviously all of this is going to be different now than it typically is in a in a spring ball but that's my this is my favorite time of the year to cover the team just because there's so much unknown Mm -hmm. about so much potential everything's on the table you get to see the new faces it's exciting so I agree. We'll, we'll keep an eye on Twitter. Obviously, Drinkwitz and the Missouri football staff are very good at sharing stuff with spring practice. We get to watch them sweat and work and, and push and, and develop and get better, so that's going to be great. But, uh, yeah, that's the show for today. As, as always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You leave a comment or you can rate us. We love all types of feedback. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. And, of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation. And you can listen to BK at 101 ESPN in St. Louis. 10 to 2 dominating that radio station over there uh we appreciate you tuning in this time we'll try to do better next time and until then amizing see you